Well, Thanksgiving is over now, except for all the leftovers stuffed in your refrigerator. So now, tis the season. Tis the season to be jolly, to put up holly and other decorations, to do all the special shopping and baking and all the other activities. Because the world says now, it's the season. And so everybody is ramped up, and already we see signs of Christmas all around us and the activities beginning It gets to be a rather busy season, doesn't it? And whether you're out there on Black Friday with all the crowds and ready piling up all the presents in your arms, psychologists also tell us you're probably going to experience some stress. So here we are looking at the start of a joyous celebrating season and we're being cautioned about stress. In fact, a couple of days ago in my email, I had a, had a newsletter from my health care provider who said, here's how to handle holiday stress. As if it were a given, I was going to experience it. Well, society has already started up the Christmas season. That normally happens right after Thanksgiving. But the way the calendar worked out this year, actually, it's not the start of the Christmas season in the church. So we're going to put the brakes on that for one more week. Next week starts the Christmas season in the church, even though we had to put up some of the decorations already. Today is actually the last Sunday in the church year when we focus on God sitting on his throne in heaven. And while society tells us that tis the season, now it's time to celebrate we're reminded that there is a time for everything and there is a time for us to simply look at Jesus on his throne. And that's what we want to do today. The passage we're going to study is from the book of Revelation. Now, when when people hear the book of Revelation, sometimes they have mixed reactions to that book because if they've ever tried to read it, they have read some pretty bizarre things. Visions that that talk about famine and war and earthquakes and pestilence and and death and and attacks on God's people. And it becomes kind of unsettling and a bit frightening for some people. But yet throughout the book of Revelation, there are some very exciting and encouraging scenes for believers, like depicted here up in the top left of that picture, where people are simply gathered around God who is sitting on his throne. That's the picture we want to keep in mind as it's time to look at Jesus. The words we're going to study come from the beginning of that book of Revelation. Here they are. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits, or the sevenfold spirit, it could be translated, before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom, and priests to serve his God and Father, To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds, 
and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn, and that's a phrase referring to unbelievers, will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So, here we are, the start of the Christmas season, and have gone through a rather tense, difficult, uncertain year. It might be fair to ask the question, got stress? <laughs> Recently, there was released a, a study, a survey of the American population and stress. It was done during the 2011 year. And in it, they gave a description of the different stressors that Americans feel, and, and here was the list. If you can't read it, I'll, I'll point it out for you. On the top was money. People were stressed. Would they have enough money? People were concerned about their work, about the economy in general. They were concerned about relationships that they have or don't have. They're worried about family responsibilities, about health problems, about their own personal health, and about their job stability and housing costs. Those were the top stressors that people labeled. Now, what this study pointed out was that over the past five years, stress has been increasing. And so you see all those different colored bars there, and you see how on the bottom of each section it's starting to get longer and longer, indicating stress wasn't getting any better. Now, they, they said the good news is 59% of Americans recognize when they're stressed out. The bad news was only 29% knew what to do with that stress. So along comes a season of joy and celebration, right? Whew, that should take our mind off of some of those worries. No, because now there's a thing called seasonal stress. People are worried about the financial aspects of this season. Will I have enough money to buy the presents that I want or that is expected of me? There are many activities that I participate in. Many, too many activities. I don't know how I'm going to do them all. I'm going to be so busy. Time with family. Maybe because of all the activities, I don't have enough time with family. Or maybe there's too much family, you know, all that time where they all come over to the house. Then there's overindulgence. All the wonderful treats and forget that diet. It's gone now for the next 30 days where we overindulge in all the treats and food. For some people, during the holiday season, stress comes because they're alone. When emphasis is on family and friends, and they may not have them around, and so they get stressed because they feel alone. And then there are memories. Sometimes memories of loved ones who've passed on and are no longer with us. Or memories of beautiful times in the past, but you can't seem to duplicate them anymore. And that causes stress. Whether it's the general stressors or the seasonal stressors. You got stress? Now where does all this stress come from? Well, stress is actually our response to changes and circumstances. And so we could say stress is really coming from all the troubles that we experience, and all those troubles we experience in this life 
are because of sin. When the first people fell into sin, God said the perfect creation was over. There would now be hardship and trouble. There would be strife and there would be illness and pain and death. So sin is what contributes to stress because it brings in all those negative things. And along with that imperfect world come the insufficiencies of life where we don't have enough time, we don't have enough ability, where we don't have enough money, where there is a lack, a shortage of things in this world. The book of Revelation depicts those things as kind of standard circumstances in this world now. Famine, disease, storms, fighting. But that's all on the outside, right? Stress is what we experience on the inside. So how does that come to be? It's because of that sin nature that we have inside of us that worries. It's that sin nature that creates those doubts in our minds that that hears and sees all these things that are going on. And then hears that this is what the Bible even said is going to happen. Oh no! So I'm going to experience that stuff. I don't think I can handle it. What's it going to be like? Is it going to be horrible? Am I going to make it through? Will I survive? Our sin nature is what brings about the stress as we worry how we're going to make it through all of these things. Well, doctors and psychologists tell us that stress can be bad because it has an impact on us. It impacts our way of living. Sometimes because of stress, we end up having to reduce what we're doing, you know, cut back on work or activities. We kind of retreat sometimes and just find a place to just get away from all of it. It affects our way of living in that all of a sudden the joy and and confidence of life is kind of dried up. Doctors tell us that stress can also affect our health. It saps us of energy It can weaken us, and it even brings on various illnesses. But look even deeper inside, and you see that stress can even have an impact on your faith, where now you're living with fear instead of hope. You have worry instead of trust. You have doubts instead of confidence, because you're thinking, God isn't going to do anything. He said it was going to be this way, and if he knows it's going to be this way, he isn't doing anything about it. Because maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he doesn't care what I go through. So you see how stress can even have an impact on our faith. So why are we studying then from the book of Revelation, where it talks about all those things? Because the book of Revelation isn't meant to scare us. The book of Revelation is meant to instill encouragement and confidence in us as it points us to our hope and our guide, who is Jesus, the Lamb who was slain for our sins, and the Lion of the tribe of Judah who rules over all things. So as we look at these opening verses to the book of Revelation, it's like getting a greeting card in the mail and opening it up. And there are not just wishes, 
but promises of encouragement and confidence for you. Because what it's basically telling you is, you've got stress busters. In other words, there's no need to fear. Let's take a look at those words again. Grace and peace to you. That's what God is promising for our life coming up. Grace and peace. Those are his gifts to us. Because we can't find it or bring it about on our own. Grace. It's that unconditional love of God. The love of God that he simply gives us because he is love. He has set no standard, no qualification that has to be met in order to have his love. It's love that's not something we can earn. It's a love that's not bound or or contained by any limits. It's a love that never dries up or runs short. It's a love that can never be hindered in any way. It's the love that moved God to send His Son his beloved son into this world to take our place and suffer his wrath for our sins so that we wouldn't. It's the love of God that's rescued us from our bondage to sin, that has saved us from experiencing the consequences of sin, which is death, death, eternal separation from God and from all his blessings. It's a love that protects us from the working of the devil in this world. The Apostle John, when when he was talking about Jesus coming into this world, talked about this gift of grace. He said, And from him we have all received grace upon grace upon grace. That is, one blessing after another. It's a love that has no limits. That's what God has given you. That's what he promises you. Along with it is the gift of peace. Oh, what our world strives for, huh? But just can't find. Here's how the world tries to get peace. I'll just beat down my enemy so that they can't do anything against me. Or we'll go to the bargaining table. Or we'll have somebody else come in in the middle between us and try to settle our disputes. And and you give up this and, and you agree to do that. So compromise. You look at what's going on in the Middle East and and now there's peace. Well, how long is that going to last? How long has the Middle East ever had peace? Well, that's not the kind of peace God is promising to give us. He's giving us a peace that is lasting and perfect. A peace that we have with Him. It's a peace that's secure and perfect. A peace that's without any anger, any resentment, any punishment, no conditions. It describes simply a relationship of love and security that will never, ever be broken. That's the peace the angels were singing about when the Savior was born. That's the peace that we enjoy now. 
Grace and peace. That's how we can handle any situation, any uncertain time that we experience. Grace and peace, it replaces stress with rest. Now, you can see the quality of that when you look at the one who's giving it to us. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To see just how good this grace and peace is, look at the one who's giving it. It's our faithful Father. John recorded the words from him who was and is and is to come. It's describing God and his eternalness. And that eternalness also means he doesn't change. He's faithful. What he has promised and done in the past is our guarantee that he's going to continue to do it now and he's going to do it forever. There's the confidence that we have that we can trust that God is going to bless us with grace and peace. He also says we have it from the spirit of life. He described them as the seven spirits. That's how, how John saw the spirit before the, the throne, as a, a spirit in, in seven different ways, no doubt referring to the way the prophet Isaiah described the spirit of God in seven ways. He said, he's the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counseling, of might, of knowledge, and of fear of the Lord. But what's cool about this is, you see, we don't have to go out trying to find grace and peace. We don't have to be doing a set of mental or spiritual exercises and hoping that God just dumps it on us. It's the Spirit who pours it out into our hearts. And we don't have to figure out, well, where do I go to get Spirit? What do I have to do? He tells us where He is in the Word and in the sacraments. And there he pours out abundantly for us this gift of God's love and peace. He said it also comes from Jesus, who he describes as Lord and Savior. He described him in three different ways to tell us what he has done and what he's going to continue to do. He's the faithful witness, the one who has given us the word that gives life when we hear it and believe it. He's the firstborn from the dead. You see, as high priest, Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice to pay for the sins of the whole world. He gave up himself. And his perfect life and his death has paid for the sins of the world. We have assurance of that through his resurrection. He's the firstborn of the dead, meaning there's going to be a secondborn and a thirdborn and a fourthborn, and that's all of us. He's also called the king, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the one who has absolute sovereign authority and power over everything that happens in this world, and all for one purpose, to bring you to heaven. That grace and peace is a solid, wonderful working gift in our lives because of who is giving it to us. And if you need a guarantee, here it is. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. 
Look at what God has done to guarantee for you this blessing of grace and peace. First of all, it says, He loves you. That's present tense. Not only did He love you in the past, He loves you right now, and He's going to continue to love you with that unconditional, limitless love. He has freed you from your sins. The very thing that separates us from God, we've been freed from that. The very thing that brings curse into our life, we've been free from that. We have been cleansed and covered by the blood of Jesus. That makes us pure before God. So that now we are qualified and he appoints us to be servants in his kingdom. What an honor. What a noble position that God would call us wretched sinners into service in his kingdom. And here's what we are to do. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those that pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. What we are to do as his servants is simply to reflect his glory the glory of that grace and peace that gives us comfort and hope now and that gives us eternal life forever. God is on his throne. He is ruling over all things for one purpose, to bring us to heaven. It's our privilege to reflect that glory of his through who we are and what we do. So, tis the season it is a joyous time. It's a time to celebrate. And over the next few weeks, as we prepare for the time we celebrate the birth of Jesus to come as our Savior, we're going to be reminded of the very thing that we've been talking about today. It's time to look at Jesus. That's what this season is all about. That's what our life is all about. Would you say that phrase with me, please? It's time to look at Jesus. I'm going to ask you to repeat that a few times here in the next minute. So over the next few weeks, as things get rather busy, and you're caught up in a lot of activities, and maybe starting to get worn down and stressed out and losing some of the joy, just remind yourself of this. Let's say it. It's time to look at Jesus. And remember that this season coming up, it's all about him and what he has done for us. When your faults, when your failures, when your sin, when your guilt clouds over the joy of this season, then say to yourself, it's time to look at Jesus because he came to remove those clouds of sin and to put us in clouds of glory and blessing even now. When disappointments confront you and challenges mount up before you, just encourage yourself by saying, it's time to look at Jesus because he is on his throne. 
and he rules over everything according to his will, which is only to bless you and others with grace and peace. When sorrow from loss or worries from needs come upon you, just encourage yourself and say, it's time to look at Jesus, and then do it. Take all those worries and concerns and put them before his throne. Listen to his promises ring clear in your heart, and then open your eyes and see his grace and peace in your life. Yeah, just the season. For a lot of activities, a lot of joy, and a lot of celebration. And so as you're enjoying the season, remind yourself, though, of this one thing. It's time to look at Jesus, because he's the reason we rejoice. Amen.